they were talking about how special it was, like my middle son, Abel, or youngest son, Abel, was saying it's special and all this, and then Ari is like, yes, this is like, this is special. It reminds us of when God came down and then he died and rose again. So, I don't know if your children are as spiritual as mine, but there's hope. Today we're looking at Ecclesiastes. Uh, I'm going to um, recap a little bit of what I talked about last week and then um, go forward to... Also, before I start, I'll just say I feel terrible today. So um, I'm grateful for uh, medication. I've been on anxiety meds for a couple of years now, anti-anxiety meds, the kinds that help you not feel anxious. So anyway... I'm kind of in a spot in life now where I, I'm trying to transition off of those and see what life is like again without anxiety medication. But if anyone, if any of you guys have ever gone off of that type of medicine before, it is gruesome and brutal, um, and I'm only slightly being hyperbolic. So anyway, if I like move my head too fast, like, it feels like I'm going to fall over, and, and so uh, forgive me for my lack of enthusiasm and kind of just feeling terrible today. That's why. Okay, so we're going to look, I'm going to recap the last sermon, and then we're going to talk about, you know, again, life being upside down, and then I'm going to hopefully give you, well, I am going to give you what I think is Ecclesiastes' answer to that, the problem of, so he sets up the problem, which is life is turned upside down. Things don't happen the way they're supposed to happen, and the solution to that problem that he gives us is twofold. Uh, it's enjoy God's gifts, and enjoy God's gifts within the boundaries that God has established. We would, um, in, in our church, we would, use, we would use the language of abiding to talk about that. He says to, um, the author of Ecclesiastes doesn't use the language of abiding. He uses the language of fearing God. And he would say that, enjoy God's gifts, but be sure that you fear God. And what he means by that, in the same way when we, when we use the word abiding, that has behind it an entire, um, what's the right word, framework for how to live, an entire method, method for the way we live. Um, we just use that key word to talk about all the things behind it. Ecclesiastes uses the word, uses the phrase fear of the Lord or fear of God. And when he says that, he's talking about living in relationship with God. So even though it is slightly different language, it's the same concept. All right, so last week we talked about the Genesis framework of Ecclesiastes. Remember, if you guys were here, we watched that uh, very informative video on illusions and, um, and how whenever authors or writers or songwriters or movies or whatever, um, uh, David Miller, what was that? Ready Player One? You watch that? It's full of illusions, right? Yeah, like you can't watch Ready Player One and really understand and appreciate what's going on unless you understand all of the backstory to Ready Player One, right? All of the allusions that it's making to other parts of culture. And I argued that Ecclesiastes is doing the same thing, that he's using part of his culture and his history, which is Genesis, and embedding these, these uh, allusions or references to Genesis in a way that the readers and hearers 
would be forced to think about Genesis, right? That's the way illusions work. Remember, we, um, in the video, it had the two characters with the piece of spaghetti in between them. And when you see that, if you grew up in the 80s, and maybe we're introducing our children to that movie too, um, Lady and the Tramp, when you see a piece of spaghetti strung between two people as they're eating, you think of Lady and the Tramp. You can't help it. Like That's the purpose of the illusion, is it forces something into your mind. And that's what Ecclesiastes is doing when he uses Genesis. He's forcing the book of Genesis into the minds of his audience. And so um, we looked at those various illusions last week, and uh, the point of that was to say, we need to understand Genesis. Like, if we're going to understand what Ecclesiastes is doing, we need to understand what Genesis is doing, right? And um, we talked about how uh, Ecclesiastes is pointing to a, um, a vision of a pre-Edenic life, right? Or a pre, pre-fall life. Like, return to the Garden of Eden. That's Craig Bartholomew's language, not mine. Um, the second thing we talked about was uh, the meaning of Hevel. And I argued that it is a reference to Abel in Genesis. Like this is continuing um, Ecclesiastes' use of Genesis. And he's using this figure of Abel, the Cain and Abel story. You guys are well aware. Um, Abel was righteous and offered a good sacrifice to the Lord. He offered the best that he had. Cain was wicked. And he offered, the Bible says, some of his produce. Not the best, it just says some of it. He just said, here's some stuff, God. And the Lord rejected that sacrifice. And he said, Cain got really mad. And the Lord said, look, why are you mad? If you just do the right thing, Cain. But sin is lurking at your door. And we all know the rest of the story, right? Um, Cain kills Abel. Once um, when, like our son is named Abel. And we named him Abel after Abel in the Cain and Abel narrative. And one time the boys were playing outside in the front yard. And I looked and uh, Peyton picked up a rock like this. And that is not what you want to see when your son is named Abel, okay? You don't want to see another son picking up a big rock. Thankfully, I was able to intervene. Um, so uh, Abel is this image of what happens when life goes bad, right? The righteous dies. Abel, the righteous one, dies. He doesn't get the blessings that we would understand, the Old Testament audience would understand, land, wealth, and children, right? Those are the things that God said, if you follow me, if you keep my commandments, if you obey me, if you walk with me, you can expect to receive land, children, and wealth, right? Remember the story of Abraham. Remember the children of Israel coming out of Exodus, or Egypt, in the book of Exodus. What happens? The, the Egyptians say, get out of here and take all of our stuff too, and then God takes them to the promised land, right? Gives them a land. There's like a 40-year kind of break in between there, but they eventually get there. Cain gets all of those things. He founds a city. He lives a long life. He has lots of children. Even, and he even gets a mark of protection from God himself on him, right? So Cain, the wicked, receives the rewards of Abel, the righteous, and the righteous person, Abel, receives the rewards of the wicked person, right? So life right there in the fourth chapter of Genesis is turned upside down. And that's what Ecclesiastes is dealing with. He is looking at the upside down nature of life, okay? So he says all of these things. Um, I talked last week about uh, 
my dad a little bit. So my dad, as you guys know, he is a, was a serial adulterer, okay? Uh, I have a sister a, who is the same age as me. We're a few months apart, um, and we do not have the same mother, right? Um, and I didn't find out about this till much later in life. Uh, once, you guys remember MySpace, anyone? Okay, yeah, so MySpace. One time, I, get, I log in, I'm in college, I log into MySpace, and I get this message that says, like, hey, is your dad Leonard Meek? I'm like, yeah, you know, that's my dad. Anyway, this was my, another sister, not the same sister, another one that I'd never heard of, right? And so that is the story of how I met my sister, my other sister. So um, that's just kind of like a, a, a little taste of the type of person my dad was, um, he was also gregarious and fun to be around. If you, he was the type of person that if you were there, if you were in front of him, you felt like nothing else in the world mattered, right? You guys know that type of person. Magnetic personality, funny, all of that. But he was also, on the other side of it, a really bad dude. Um, he hurt a lot of people, right? Uh, when he and my mom got divorced Sorry, before they got divorced, when my dad moved out of the house, I was six, five or six, and my, my older brother uh, from my dad, yeah, this is like another brother, right, that is, you know, my dad's son. Um, he's quite a bit older than me. He t- took me for a ride in his uh, Z28. You guys know what a Camaro Z28 is? All right, it's like this awesome car, T-tops. Anyway, he takes me for a ride in it, and we're, uh, I remember like it was yesterday, we're coming back home, and my dad is leaving in his truck. Um, we like cross each other on the, um, it's like a two lane highway. And I was like, David, like, where is dad going? And he's like, oh, he'll be back. Uh, and he never came back, <laughs> you know? And so like, that is, that is how, like, that's how my dad left. Like, that's the type of person that he was. It was just kind of like, told my brother to take me away and go on a ride in a cool car so that he could make a, a clean getaway there. My grandmother, on the other hand, I talked a little bit about her. She was this wonderful, like, pillar of life. You know, she was, like, five feet tall. Um, and uh, I remember this this other moment in my life when uh, after my parents had split up and my grandmother, all five feet of her, she's, like, to light this size, okay? And my dad is is more like Craig's size, okay? So big, small. My grandmother is, like, standing in the doorway of my house and won't let my dad come through. And it's like funny when you think about it, you know, because he, she's so small and he's like this huge guy. Um, and, uh, but like that's just the kind of woman she was. She was fiercely protective um, of me and of the people she loved, right? Um, so fast forward, you know, she, I spent the majority of my time in my young days with her. She was a godly woman, loved the Lord. Um, she had cancer twice. The second time she had cancer, uh, she died. And my mom, my grandmother, sorry, and my dad died at like the same age. They were both like 60. And so you think about, on the one hand, there's this woman who um, planted a a community garden to feed poor people in our neighborhood. Um, She was active in her church. She practically raised me, you know, and my mom really struggled with everything my dad did to her. My grandmother stepped in. Um, just the, like the type of person who it just is a good woman. She loved the Lord, you know, and she lived a quiet life and she was faithful. And she died 
at the same time as my dad in life. I mean, like my dad was, it was like later on chronologically, but they were the same age. God gave them the same number of years. And you think about that, and it's like, man, that is an example of that could have been taken right out of Ecclesiastes, right? Life is upside down. The wicked and the righteous end up both dead at a similar age, right? And so <clears throat> Ecclesiastes gives us some uh, handles to hold on to while we're trying to, to figure out how to deal with that, you know, how to deal with uh, the wicked and the righteous suffering the same fate, and how to deal with the ableness or upside-downness of life, right? You remember I, I said it doesn't, it's not vanity, it's not meaningless, it's upside-down or unjust, right? These are situations in life that don't make sense, okay? So, I want to take some examples from Ecclesiastes. Let's look first at 2, 15 through 17. These are instances where the author of Ecclesiastes is struggling with this upside-downness of life, okay? And he hits several different points, and I think that we can identify with at least one of these. The first one is that death overtakes everybody, okay? That's like, we all die. Like, that's the great equalizer, right? You guys remember when Steve Jobs died or when Kobe Bryant just recently died? And you think about, I mean, Kobe was 41 years old and a millionaire and like a phenomenal basketball player. I don't know how, Steve, how old Steve Jobs was, but his, his impact on our culture could not, we can, can't be over overestimated or whatever, you know? But they're both dead now, like gone. Millionaire, billionaire, dead. Death is the great equalizer. 2, 15 through 17. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I become so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is not vanity, but an ableness, an able-like situation. For of the wise... As of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will be long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. And then he says, so I hated life, because what's done under the sun, that's like what happens on earth, was grievous to me, for it's all, for all of it is like Abel and a striving after wind. Is that ESV? Yeah. So the fact that death is this great equalizer bothers the author of Ecclesiastes, right? Because, remember, he's thinking, like, the framework of the author of Ecclesiastes is that God has set the world up such that if you're righteous and you follow him and you obey him and you love him, you should be able to expect good things to happen. If you're not, you should be able to expect bad things to happen. But he knows, because of his experience, and we know because of our experience, that's not the way it works all the time. 2, 18 through 23. Let's keep reading there. <clears throat> so death overtakes everybody. That's the first situation that doesn't make sense. That's the first injustice or the upside downness. The second one, you work hard and you leave everything to a fool. Right? Hopefully I will not experience this one. I hated all of my toil at which, in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master for all for, of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is a able or upside-down situation. 
So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who's toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is an able situation and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a, ve- is a vexation. Even in night his heart does not rest. This also is an able like situation. Okay, So he's saying, look, in a rightly ordered world, in life before the fall, people should work hard and enjoy what they have, and they shouldn't leave an inheritance to a foolish son. But the truth is, we don't know. And if, we're, if we talk about, if we're talking about Solomon in Ecclesiastes, does anyone remember what Solomon's son, Rehoboam, did? No takers? Rehoboam is the guy who, the, the, um, when Solomon dies, his friend, or the people of Israel come and they say, Rehoboam, like, please give us a break. We're so tired of being slaves. And he says, are you, are you joking me, guys? I have more venom in my pinky than my dad had in his whole body. And he doubled down on the oppression and the slavery, and then the kingdom was split into the north and south, never to be reunited, right? And that led to Jeroboam taking over in the north of Israel and um, idolatry, right? The, the golden calf was set up, returning back to before they were in uh, the promised land again, right? So, he, so, so the author here is saying, look, sometimes you work really hard and you should expect to be able to, A, not die. That's his first problem. And B, when you do die, you shouldn't have to leave everything that you worked for to someone who's an idiot. But you don't have any control over that, okay? We're going to get to the positive part, okay? I promise. Like, he's just setting up all of the problem. He, he is saying things that we can identify with. Um, obviously no one here has foolish children, but other churches do, just not ours. Okay, 3, 16 through 22. Wickedness and justice are inverted, okay? So everybody dies. Sometimes you leave your work hard and leave your, leave your stuff to a fool, and wickedness and justice are inverted. 3, 16 through 22. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. So what is the place of justice? What? Like, where do you go to get justice? Court. Exactly. Right. So he's saying, even in court, this place of justice, there's wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, again, court, even there was wickedness. So I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that's just humans, that God is testing them so that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. And here comes the kicker. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for everything is like Abel. All go to one place, all are from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes up and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. And here's just like a bonus. That who knows, it's, it's miyodeia in Hebrew. Um, and 
whenever throughout the Old Testament, when that who knows comes up, the the assumed answer, like if if we all lived in ancient Israel and someone said, who knows, blah, 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 your immediate response would be, well, God knows. Like God, God knows what's going to happen. God knows who is going to do this, right? So he's not just saying like, uh, he's not like throwing his hands up and like, ah, who knows, like we would say it. He's saying who knows with the expectation that his audience is going to supply the answer. God knows, okay? Um, so I saw there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Okay, death overtakes everybody. This is the upside downness that Ecclesiastes is talking about. Everybody dies. You leave your stuff to a fool. Wickedness and justice are inverted, where you expect there to be righteousness and justice. Instead, there's wickedness. Five, chapter 5, verse 12 through 17, number the, the uh, fourth one. There is no gain in gains. Am I right? You know, I did it for the gains. It's like a CrossFit joke. I thought really hard about that one just for Carrie. I have in my notes, I have Carrie in parentheses. That is like specifically for him. There is no gain in gains. Okay. 5, 12 through 17. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats much or little. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. So notice before Ecclesiastes says, one of the things that really stings in life is like, I'm going to work really hard and leave everything to a fool. That's terrible. Later on, he says, by the way, if I work really hard and keep everything for myself and then I lose it in a bad venture, that also stinks because I'm not going to be able to give anything to my kids, right? So he struggles with both sides of those things. And he came, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came. And he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. All right, I'll stop there. So he's saying, look, sometimes people get really rich and they get greedy and they keep everything to themselves and then they lose everything in a bad venture like Betting on the think, I mean, the 2008 stock stock market crash is not too far behind us, right? Or think of real estate, the the real estate bubble bursting. That's not too far behind us. Like in our lives, like people have experienced this sort of financial collapse, where they expected to be going into retirement, and instead they have to keep working, right? And then like there's this domino effect of they have to keep working, so their children can't take over their place, right? They stay in the workforce longer. They should be retiring. They lose all their money, so they're not able to retire. And then the people who would be taking their jobs and they retire, they can't, take, they can't get their jobs anyway. So he's saying, so Ecclesiastes is saying, like, that's messed up. That's not the way it's supposed to go, right? That's in a rightly ordered world, in a world where everything is as God intended it. That's not supposed to happen, but it does. Six, six through seven, work and food do not satisfy. <clears throat> Even though he should live a thousand years twice over. This is talking about a, uh, someone 
just a, a hypothetical person. And, and remember, Ecclesiastes is talking about like the Old Testament framework of blessing, long life, children, wealth. He's saying, look, if this person should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, doesn't enjoy anything, he's just living on and on and on, do not all go to the one place, death. And the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. For what advantage is the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? And he goes on to say, better is the sight of eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is Hevel or an able-like situation striving after the wind. So in a rightly order, ordered world, I think I can hear my kids screaming, in a rightly ordered world, food should satisfy, right? We should work hard, get something for that, get a gain, get a profit for that, and enjoy the food we eat. But author of Ecclesiastes is saying like sometimes that doesn't happen, and that's not how it's supposed to be, okay? So, that's the problem. Can anyone identify with this problem, with any of these frustrations, experiences, right? Where you're walking along in life and things are going as they should be, but then all of a sudden, boom, something happens. And you realize, like, man, I'm going to die. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm wise or foolish. I'm going to die, ultimately. Um, you work really hard and your kid turns out to be an idiot. You see wickedness and justice inverted, turned upside down. Like, you know in your heart Things should be this way, but they're not. There's no gain in gains. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say it again. Uh, and, and work and food don't satisfy. So the author of Ecclesiastes is listing all of these situations. And like I'm sure uh, Will is going to go through these when he preaches verse by verse. But he's listing, and this is just some of the things that Ecclesiastes lists. And he's saying, look, these are examples of when life is like Abel. When things are turned upside down, when righteousness and wickedness are inverted. Like, okay, that's the problem. He lays out the problem, okay? Now, what in the world do we do with that? That's, that is the kicker for Ecclesiastes. What should we do? And he offers two ways to deal with this, okay? He says, enjoy God's gifts, right? And we'll talk about that in a second. And then he also says to fear God or enjoy God's gifts within God's boundaries, right? And so he sets up the whole, the whole solution to this problem, right? Remember, he's using, he's putting breadcrumbs along the way, so that as we're reading the book, we're thinking about Genesis. Genesis is in our minds. We're seeing the references to Genesis, that, that ima- those images are being pushed to the forefront of our mind, and the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, there's a problem in life, and that problem is exemplified or modeled in the story of Abel. And here are all these things that I've experienced that are like what I see in Abel. And so, in light of that, enjoy it. Enjoy God's gifts. He says repeatedly six different um, passages that are called the Carpe Diem or Seize the Day passages. But I'm just going to talk about uh, two of them, all right? Um, Nine, seven through ten. In light of the fact that life is turned upside down, what, what's the answer? He doesn't leave us hanging. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine or 
grape juice, unfermented grape juice, with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your hevel or able life that he's given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. The other verse, 5, 18 through 20. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Okay, so he's saying, look, this is the way life is right now. Life is like Abel. It's turned upside down. Everybody's going to die. Bad stuff happens. Sometimes you lose all your money, right? There's all of these unpredictable things in life, and life doesn't turn out in a fallen world the way that we expect it to. So what in the world can we do? And he says, remember, let's go journey back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and what did God give them? Work. He gave, and that was before the fall. This is all before the fall, right? He gives them work. He gives them food. He gives them something to drink. Assuming again that it's unfermented grape juice, and he um, gives them each other, right? So Ecclesiastes is saying, look, in light of all of these bad things, in light of all of the unpredictability, in light of the fact that life is turned upside down, that there's that the righteous sometimes suffer the fate of the wicked, that the fastest runner doesn't always win the race, that bad things happen to good people, in light of all of that, in light of all of that. What can humans do? Enjoy our food, enjoy our work, enjoy our drink, and enjoy our spouse, our relationships with each other, right? And I mean, think about it. Like, that, that, that's community, right? Eating together, drinking together, working together, and sp- just spending time together. And he's saying, these are the things, if God has given you these things and given you the ability to enjoy them, that's what redeems this world, right? Is taking part in the gifts of God. That's the countercultural life that we have to offer, right? Not the striving after. And I'm sure Will is going to talk about this. It comes up in Ecclesiastes over and over and over. He says, look, this, I, sh- I worked so hard and I'm going to give all this to someone who's an idiot. Or what about this guy who worked so hard and even though he lives 2,000 years, he doesn't have anyone to enjoy the things that he earned with that. So what matters for Ecclesiastes is enjoying these small gifts of God, good food. That's why at Feasting and Feasting, plug for that, there's two spots left. Um, If you want to come in, tomorrow will be kind of the last day to jump in. We're looking at the book of Micah. We're spending time together. We're feasting on God's word. We're feasting on good food because food is really good, right? It's like, well, I love food. Jake loves to cook bread. He knows what I'm talking about. Like, there's something joyous in experiencing that gift of God in a moment, right? In a, like, nothing like being present in that moment. I'm not trying to sound hokey, but I think that's what Scripture is saying. 
On top of that, though, you guys, what are some, what might be, feel free to shout it out, what might be some, a danger in enjoying food? Gluttony, Gluttony right? So each of the, what about um, drink, wine? What might be a danger in that? Alcohol, alcoholism, right? What about relationship with your spouse? Hmm? A relationship with someone not your spouse, right? <laughs> and working. What, what's the danger in work? Workaholism, right? So he lists these four things that God has given us that, that, that we see in Adam and Eve before the fall. Work, wine, food, and um, a spouse. But Sin distorts things, right? The enemy, Satan, tries to distort those things. And he says, look, enjoy food. And on one side over here, you have gluttony, right? That's a distortion of God's gift. And on this other side over here, you have famine, right? That also is a distortion of God's gift. People who don't have anything to eat. Um, He says, enjoy your drink. And over here, you have obviously alcoholism and getting drunk and all of those things that scripture forbids and over here on this side you have the teetotalers who say you should never under any circumstance drink alcohol ever that also distorts what scripture says right and i i know that like culturally it might not be as big of an issue in louisiana because you like i you know i'm not from here but you guys have some strange relationships with alcohol in this in this state you know like all of the you can just like go get a beer and walk around town and like everybody's like oh yeah it's noon on thursday no big deal oh okay north and south of i-10 okay that's the issue right so on one side you have overindulgence and on the other side you have people that say like no you can never you can never drink wine ever period right both of those distort god's gift a spouse you have on over here a guy like my dad who has been mar- had been married multiple times and cheated on all, his, all of his wives, right? He's overindulging. He's, he's, he is um, exploiting this good thing that God made, right? And then on the other side, you have, I don't think this is necessarily an exploitation of that, but there's, there's definitely like a loneliness in not being married, right? And obviously we have, like, this sermon is not about marriage and all of that, but the Apostle Paul and Jesus both are models of what it looks like to live faithfully without being married. But I would say, based on Scripture, that the norm is to be married. Um, And we can talk about that later if you want. Work, over here you have workaholics who work all of the time, constantly, so that they can be like this dude in Ecclesiastes who just gathers up wealth or like Jesus talked about, the guy who builds all the barns and stores his grain in it, and then he says, you fool, you're going to die tonight. And on the other side, you have the dude who's like super lazy and just wants to like shoot up heroin all the time, right? That's not okay either. So you have these gifts that God has given before the fall, and sin wants to distort both of those, distort them on each side in indulgence and in restriction, Okay. The author of Ecclesiastes gives us a way forward, right? All of these bad things happen. Life is turned upside down. Life is like Abel, right? Uh, bad things happen to good people. There's sin. There's ungodliness. What do we do with that? Well, we take joy in these things that God has given us before the fall, but 
We do that in a right relationship with God. Remember, we would at our church talk about abiding in Christ. The author of Ecclesiastes uses the phrase fear of the Lord, and he means basically the same thing, walking in right relationship with God. I'm going to read three passages with that, and then I'm going to close it up. Ecclesiastes 8, 12 through 13. And again, I, Will is going to be like expounding on all of this. Like this is, these two messages are hopefully to kind of put up some uh, guardrails so that when we can kind of just go back and forth as Will is working through these passages with us more slowly. 8, 12 through 13. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. So he's saying, look, stuff is messed up, but this I know. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, like who? Cain. Yes, thank you. Um, Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. And that fear that Ecclesiastes is talking about, this word refers to not like shaking in your boots, right? It doesn't refer to being terrified. Uh, It refers to living in relationship with God. Obedience, walking with him, knowing him, hearing his voice. It's a relational word, right? We would use the the phrase abiding in Christ. Uh, Let's look at chapter 11, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and sight of your eyes, but know that for all those things, all these things, God will bring you into judgment. He's saying, look, take joy, rejoice. There's goodness, right? If God gives you the power to enjoy food, work, wine, and your spouse, then take joy in that and embrace it. But don't go over here and don't go over here, right? Live in a relationship with God and let him guide you in how you enjoy these things. And the last one 12, 13 through 14, the very end of the book. This is the, what I think is the lens. Like when we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we should put on our 12, 13 through 14 glasses. He says, this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of humans or humanity or man. Now I left, I would say like that word duty is added on. Like that's not in that is not in the Bible. I mean, it's in this Bible, but it's not in Hebrew. It just says, this is the whole of humans. It doesn't say whole duty. It doesn't say whole responsibility. It doesn't say whole stuff that we're supposed to do. It says whole. This is what it means to be human, period. To fear God and keep his commandments. To live in a relationship with him. That is what it means to be a human being. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Okay. So, to summarize, Ecclesiastes is this kind of frank examination of life, right? And the author is saying, look, this is what I see. All of these bad things happen. Stuff that we've experienced, right? Stuff that we've all, we've all been in a situation where bad things happened. And we saw, that's not right, and something inside of us like said, that is just not right. It shouldn't be that way. And yet it is. And that's what Ecclesiastes is saying. Like, look at all this stuff. It's bad. This is like 
Abel, right? This is like Abel. But there's a way to navigate life in light of all of these things. And the way to navigate life is to enjoy these gifts that God has given us. Relationship with people, food, drink, and work. And that is the countercultural life that we can show non-Christians, I think. We can say, yeah, there is despair and hopelessness and frustration in this world. Abel really did get murdered by his brother. And Abel really was innocent. Cain really did get a long life and children, a city, wealth. I don't know. So what do we do? Like, we can't fix it. We can't change it. That's the way it is. But what we, what we can do is abide in Christ, right? We can fear God and keep his commandments. We can live in relationship with God and enjoy the gifts that he's given us. And like that is the countercultural life that the Gathering Place West can offer to people. It's saying, look, yeah, of course all this stuff happens, but there is a God who loves us. He's given a son for us so that we can do what Ecclesiastes is talking about. And sometimes God gives us these really good things like a family and food and wine and work. And what we can do is work, work hard to enjoy those things within a relationship with God, right? Okay, let's pray. God, you're good and gracious and we are grateful for you. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be stirred and turn towards you. Thank you so much for scripture. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you do give us good gifts. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to opportunities to enjoy them and to live this countercultural life of relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.